1: is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Wow, uh, the Tweet of the Day Award... <laughs> no, we didn't have one. We just we just created one. But the Tweet of the Day Award has to go to Joe Scarborough. I never thought I'd say this, but uh, this is an amazing tweet. He, he, he tweeted this morning, Ken Burns... You know, the guy who does the documentaries, he did the Civil War and all these others. Ken Burns told me Robert E. Lee killed more Americans than Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Ho Chi Minh, Saddam Hussein, and Osama bin Laden combined. That's right. This is the great Civil War documentarian, Ken Burns, said that Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee killed more Americans. This is the guy that... that, General Kelly was defending, killed more Americans than Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Ho Chi Minh, Saddam Hussein, and Osama bin Laden combined. It's amazing. So Donald Trump last night, uh, Donald Trump Jr. last night, decided that he was going to show that he understands something about economics, right? He He tweeted a picture of his daughter, Chloe, holding her candy bag, you know, Halloween trick or treat candy bag out to the camera. And along with this, along with this picture, he tweeted, "I'm going to take half of Chloe's candy tonight and give it to some kid who sat at home. It's never too early to teach her about socialism." Right. Well, that's that's really not what socialism is all about, but but I it's it's interesting the the tweet responses that he got. Uh, Ben uh, says, I, I told my kid to stay home early and I'll buy him candy. He doesn't have to lift a finger. Never too early to teach him about being Donald Trump Jr. Soledad O'Brien, you know, the, I think CNN, right? She was on CNN for years. Soledad O'Brien tweeted, you could tell her that you're donating the candy to charity, but then really fund a hundred thousand of it to yourself. Ask uncle Eric about that. (laughs) Zap. Uh, Ryan Cooper says, I'll take, half, I'll take half my kid's candy, store it in a ta- Cyprus tax shelter, and then declare bankruptcy to teach her about capitalism. Now, that's actually something that happens in Trump world, right? Uh, or you could take 99% of the candy and give it to the richest kid in the block to teach her about crony capitalism, tweets another person. This uh, most, it got over 50,000 replies, many of them pointing out that um, what he was describing was sharing not socialism, and that generally we teach children to share. And uh, Hermit uh, tweets, imagine thinking that, your child, that teaching your child to share is bad. And uh, the news tweets, my man, socialism was her getting that free candy in the first place. You taking half for reasons she can't understand? That's capitalism. Abby writes, uh, let me fix that for you. Give some of the free candy she got to children who couldn't get out to get free candy. All right, well, that would have been a nice thing to do. Uh, Tim Jong-un thought this was insanely funny. He says, from the guy who got his millions by being born to a millionaire. Ta-da. J.K. Rowling, the author, she, she wrote, fill her bucket with old candy left by her great-grandfather, then explained that she has more because she's smarter than all the other kids. Right. Amir says, or you could just take 99% of Chloe's candy, eat it, and tell her to wait for it to trickle down. Or you could give 90% of her candy. This is uh, Mikhail Jallit. uh, You could give 90% of her candy to the one richest kid in the neighborhood. And then Mike Holden tweeted, but daddy, give these, but daddy, people gave me these s- sweets free out of kindness. Daddy, shut up and pose for daddy's political snipe photograph. Right. Meanwhile, Donald Trump getting his uh, news from uh, billionaire Rupert McDonald's, uh, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch's uh, Fox channel, his, his uh, you know, little subsidiary, the Republican Party. And this whole thing with Fox and Friends, this is fascinating. Um, there's an article in today's Guardian about this. And uh, it talks about when Trump struck a, deal, struck a deal with Democrats Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to raise the debt ceiling, Fox and Friends declared it art of the deal. Right? So if you do something that traditionally Republicans hate, oh, this is still wonderful. It's Trump. When he said that there were many sides to the uh, Charlottesville event, Fox and Friends said he nailed it. And of course Trump gets all kinds of publicity, you know, for 4 years Donald Trump did with Fox and Friends what Bernie Sanders did with this program for 11 years. He was a weekly guest. It was Mondays with Trump on Fox and Friends for 4 years. How that, you know, didn't get examined or discussed in the media is is baffling because this <laughs> this is this is like developmental stuff, right? In November and, and this is now, you know, Trump is constantly parroting Fox and Friends. You know, before, before John Kelly and the CIA get to, fo- get to Trump with their briefings, Fox and Friends has already briefed him. They've already established his worldview for the day. On January 26th,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Fox and Friends did a piece on the American flag and how someone was burning the flag. On 16 minutes af- after that, Donald Trump does a piece on the flag and 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 16 minutes after he after Chelsea Manning was profiled in a negative way on Fox and Friends uh, Trump tweeted about Chelsea Manning the day after the president promised fire and fury in North Carolina Trump, Trump retweeted Fox and Friends remarks five times he's i mean it just goes on and on and on all these times that that Trump has You know, this relationship that he has with this this, uh, show. Dan McAdams, a professor of psychology at Northwestern University's Weinberg College of Arts and Sciences, says whether he's putting his name on buildings or watching himself on the news or basking in the reflected glory of an adoring crowd at a Trump rally, it's always about promoting the self. He says of Fox and Friends, it sabs his hurt ego. It makes him feel better. He's a pretty bruised and beat up guy. In many ways, I think he takes criticism not well. He remembers regrets, and he rages against opposition. So to have a source like that that's so affirming, that's really nice. It's like mom smiling at you in the morning and saying you're a good boy. But back to the socialism that Donald Trump Jr. is uh, decrying. How dare we have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, all those socialist programs. That's just like nasty, evil stuff. We can't have that. And, uh, but what did Martin Luther King say? He said, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor, right? In 2008, the the billionaires who own and run the biggest banks, they crashed the economy of the world. And we bailed them out. We say that uh, fracking operations are exempt from the Clean Water Act. You've got companies, you know, uh, Boeing did it a while ago, now Amazon is doing it, going around the United States saying, who wants to give us a whole bunch of socialism? Who wants to give us a bunch of free money? Who's going to give us, you know, decades of tax breaks and subsidies and things if we move our headquarters here? 20% of big companies pay nothing in taxes. While we pay for the government structure that enforces their property rights, their patents, their trademarks, their contractual interests, we pay for that whole court system. We pay for everything. We have socialism for wealthy people. We, you and I are supporting them, especially when they pay no taxes, like Donald Trump. He uses our court system aggressively. And who pays for that court system? You and me. Trump's not paying his taxes, or at least as far as we can tell. an you know, amazing study out of Cornell on this. I'll get to that in just just a few minutes. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Martin Luther King, one America is flowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of equality, uh, but the other is plagued by substantial and dilapidated housing. Welcome back to the program, and john in austin texas hey john what's on your mind hey tom how are you good what's up
4: hey i just want to let you know first of all uh i am i'm not a republican but i am a conservative so i do have a lot of differing views from you but i i really appreciate your program i also listen to dean Obadalla and mike christine because i i love to get the viewpoint like i said i consider myself a conservative but i love to hear the liberal viewpoint just so you know, you stay more well-rounded, I think, as a person that way. But with, with all that being said, I think it's very interesting. Whenever I listen to your show or Dean's show or anybody's show, how it, a lot of the focus is, oh, you know, taxes, the rich aren't paying enough taxes, yada, yada, yada. No one ever focuses on the fact that over half of the country doesn't even pay taxes. Not wouldn't
1: true. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? It's not true, John. It's simply not true. It's, okay. it's true if you're talking about federal income taxes, but it's not true yes, about yes. taxes. In fact, it, it, the, the Pew organization, the Pew Charitable Trust, you can, you can easily Google this. I can give you all the references you want. Uh, it's by Elaine Povich. It's titled, The Poor Pay a Higher Percentage of Income in Taxes Than the Rich. Uh, it was published January 15th, 2015. And uh, it's from an exhaustive study that was done. Pew is not a partisan organization. According to the report, the lower the one's income, the higher the effective state and local tax rate. Combining all state and local income taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, and excise taxes that all Americans pay, the nationwide average effective state and local taxes, tax rates by income group are as follows. The poorest 20% of Americans pay 10.9% of their income in taxes. The poorest 20%. The, the middle 20% of Americans pay 9.4% of their income in taxes, and the top 1% of Americans pay 5.4% of their income in taxes. So the fact of the matter is that poor people are more heavily taxed as a percentage of their income than are rich people in the United States. And, and so you know if you're looking for where the socialism is happening, where the benefits are to be found, they are to be found with six-figure incomes and above. In fact, he, they, they note in 10 states with the most regressive tax structures, the bottom 20% pay up to seven times as much of their income in combined taxes as their wealthy counterparts. And this is why these so-called low-tax states, you know, they have low-income taxes. Uh, these low-tax states like, you know, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, uh, Florida, things like that, why you have such huge disparities of wealth? Because the wealthy people are paying literally one-seventh the, the percentage of taxes in uh, you know the percentage of their income in taxes as are working poor people. Back to you, John.
4: Very interesting. Yeah, but, no, very interesting. Look, I th- I think that you're looking at only state and local taxes, which is what
1: people are paying, and like, federal taxes. Yes, this is combining well, all three.
4: But isn't it true that the majority, uh, well, maybe not the majority, but there's a vast Group of people that don't even pay income taxes in this country, and, the, and then they are taking social programs.
1: No, that's not true, like John.
4: Welfare, like that's, Medicaid,
1: y- John, like, it's, just it's just not true. it's just not true. If if you're if you're working the crappiest job on earth, right? If 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 you're if you're washing toilets at a fast food restaurant and being paid seven dollars seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour to do that, and and you're only ma- and it's part time job, you're making five or ten thousand dollars a year. You're, you're at the bottom of the bottom of the, of the pay bucket in the United States. 100% of your income you're paying income taxes on. It's just not the federal income tax that's associated with higher wealth. It is the FICA tax that's associated with lower wealth. In fact, in up, it, it, people who make over $118,000 a year don't even have to pay that tax anymore. But 100% of working people are paying the, you know, the Social Security and Medicare tax, the the FICA tax. At the very least, they're paying that 3.1%. 100% of all workers, and that is a tax that is associated with your income. So I don't know how you cannot call that an income tax. Okay.
4: Well, very good. Well, Tom, I appreciate the program. I love listening to you.
1: Great. Thank you, John. Good to hear from you. Appreciate the call. John, and uh, from John to John. John in Vernon Hills, Illinois. Hey, John. What's on your mind today?
3: Hey,
5: Tom. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I'm trying to get in to see you at the uh, in uh, countryside next week.
1: Oh yeah, that'll be great fun. Although I think that it's sold out, um, but maybe yeah, not. It, I don't know. But, you, uh, you can uh, Chris check Trump with WCPT. Was
5: trying to see if you get more um, from the from the providers of the food oh,
1: and Oh, I see.
5: another chair or two. Yeah,
1: Anyways. I think I think they they run up against uh, fire marshal things. But anyhow, you you were saying, John? That's not what you called about.
5: No. Um, First thing is, so many people keep call, say, saying they're conservatives. Well, very few real conservatives left. Conservatives basically are okay, although they have some different ideas than liberals do. However, most of the people that are call themselves conservatives are members of the Tea Party,
1: which is and not that's a conservative where all the organization. And hate in this country comes from. Yeah, it's not a conservative organization. It's a reactionary organization. Conservatives, sure. conservatism has a, you know, a, a, a fine history. And, uh, you know, read yeah. Russell Kirk, read William F. Buckley, uh, you know, and the idea of conservatism historically. And, and, you know, I mean, going back to the American Revolution, when the founders of this country were considered the left wing radicals and the, and the conservatives didn't want to separate from the UK. Um, conserv- right. the, the core tenet of, of genuine conservatism is slow, gradual, positive change but careful, thoughtful, non-disruptive. Whereas the, you know, the core tenet of progressivism is, hey, you think this is going to make the world better? Let's try it. And so, you know, lots and lots of programs came out of FDR. Not a lot of them survived. You know, we don't have the WPA or the CCC anymore. Frankly, I think we should, uh, but we don't. Uh, but, you know, we tried a lot of things. That's, that's what liberals do. But, you know, and, and, and I, those two points of view, hey, let's try a lot of things, Let's not try very much at all. Let's be very, very careful. Those are both worthy of respect. Those are both positions that that you know we should all be able to say, okay, these are different worldviews on how you best accomplish social change. That's a legitimate debate. But what's happening right now, these people who are calling themselves conservatives in state and federal legislatures and on television as the as the as the the you know the talking heads and the spokespeople. They're not conservatives. They're corporate shills. They're shills for billionaires and shills for corporate interests. Period. Full stop. And, and on top of that, Trump is appointing them to all kinds of positions in the federal government. He, right-wing talk show host is going to be our chief science officer. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, for example. Right. So uh, it's, just, it's just very bizarre. John, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. And thanks for listening to WCPT. Patty in Harstein Island, Washington. Hey, Patty, what's on your mind today?
6: Good morning, Tom. Welcome back to The Side of the Planet. Thank you. Um, just a little bit of backstory. You've talked about Ken Burns. Well, Ken Burns did a series on baseball, mm-hmm. and it'll make you cry when you get to the point about Jackie Robinson. Oh, my. In ja- Jackie Robinson, in the 1972, a couple of weeks before he died, threw out the first Ball of the World Series. Last week, his wife threw out the first Ball of the World Series, Miss Rachel. And in Ken Burns' series, Jackie Robinson, who was the son of a sharecropper, the son of a slave, said that when he heard the national anthem, that he knew it did not play for him. And that just broke my heart. And I I wanted to call you last week when Miss Rachel Robinson threw out the ball. But here I am today, and I have a ditty for you. And it goes kind of like this. Forgive me if I'm not in perfect voice today. It's quite all right. Here we go. Oh, say can you see the world that we need, where freedom is strong and oppression is wrong, where the air is blue. And the waters run true Patty,
1: I gotta stop you I Where it's
6: you
1: I, I'm sorry Patty we you're doing a great job and it's a marvelous song but having people call up and recite songs or recite poems or or you know anything is just doesn't work for talk radio but it's a great song Patty, thank you for your call. Bob in South Dennis, Massachusetts say Bob, what's on your mind hi Tom how are you I'm I'm well I, I hope Patty is not feeling badly i I love the song I just you know, after the last person called and sang the national anthem last week, I think it was toward the end of last week, and we just all got together and decided we can't, we can't be doing that.
4: Anyhow, Bob, well, to you. I, I I agree with you. I was wondering if you're familiar with the United Daughters of the Confederacy.
1: I am. Yeah, they're they're the principal group in the 1920s that was behind erecting the the monuments to their ancestors.
4: Right. Yes. Uh, Ezra Klein at Vox has put up a wonderful. Uh, video I wanted your listeners to check out. You just go to YouTube, type in uh, Vox, United Daughters of the Confederacy. It is alarming. Hmm. Uh,
1: I, I'm i embarrassed to tell you I didn't know this stuff. Yeah, well, you we know, have less than a minute, Bob. What What are the main takeaways that you learned that you'd like to share with us? Well, just rewriting history,
4: uh, just uh-huh. saying that slavery wasn't bad at all. Uh, slaves were singing, they were
1: having fun, um, it's just a complete rewrite of history, Tom, yeah. and it's it's a crime against humanity. Well, and those frankly. and those narratives, by the way, still exist in some schools' textbooks. I mean, they were exactly. they were they were ubiquitous in the United States forty years ago, and but they're they're still out there. And you know, the 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 the, the fantasy of the happy slave, the 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 benevolent right. slave owner. I mean, all this all this nonsense. And, yeah, it was the United Daughters of the Confederacy and the Klan who were pushing it really really hard. Right. But Please, the United Daughters I, I of the Confederacy your, your, was the front your,
7: group. Your
4: listeners will check it out. It's just alarming. Okay. It, it's beautiful. Well done. It's under seven minutes.
1: Yeah, okay. let go on YouTube. Thank oh, you check very it much, out. Tom. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for the call, and thanks for the heads up. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889. tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. And welcome back. Justin in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. Hey, Justin, what's on your mind today?
2: Uh, hi, Tom, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. What's up? Uh, um, I had a question. I was wondering, um, let's say
8: let's say, 45 gets gets impeached, gets convicted of different stuff. Is there any way... To possibly overturn his his um, executive commands and
1: that sort of stuff the things that he signed due to criminal aspects not to the best of my knowledge Justin I I don't know of any laws that uh, and it's certainly not in the Constitution that would void the behavior of a president who has been impeached and Uh, uh, although we've never had a president impeached I mean I think that probably closer than anybody else Nixon would be the one that that might apply to because he was, you know, just a, uh, a whisker away from being impeached. He, he bailed before he could be impeached. But yeah. there, there's no, th- no mechanism for that. The mechanism for that is actually the ballot box. It's, it's you elect somebody who, who is, I mean, you know, who's going to do what Trump is doing to Obama's legacy. Uh, you elect somebody who will do that to Trump's legacy. You know, Trump is, is stamping out everything Obama did. And and he's uh, you know replacing actual scientists at the EPA with industry shills, replacing actual scientists at Interior and and the, uh, USDA and others with industry shills. Okay, so we got to Basically, vote back to normalcy then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yep. That's Justin, good. thanks a lot for the call. Sarah in Las Vegas. Hey, Sarah. What's on your mind today?
3: Uh, good morning or good afternoon, Tom. Hi. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you. Um, I was briefly blown away, but I just couldn't believe the other day when your news came when Mayor Carmen had been so drastically disrespected and dishonored by the president and FEMA director after all that she's been through and uh, the hurricane and everything, and to not even be able to see the the president at all, or talk to him, I thought that was terribly horrendous. And so I really think it's time for all of America to stand, stand up and say, we're not you, you're not us, and we have more than enough liquid funds and other FEMA funds and uh, institutions, educational institutions, sports facilities that would be glad to have her. Our- come and talk at these places, places that would be glad to open their doors for letting her accommodate her and feed her and bring her back if she's gone and just let America be what our president is not. What
1: astonished me, Sarah, was I didn't see that in, well, I don't watch that much media, but I, I didn't see this story anywhere yesterday. It was like you know. Oh,
3: it was it was on one of your brief newscasts.
1: Yeah, no, it, I I did the story, but I didn't see anybody else do the story, and I thought that you know that's. Oh, I'm guessing Free Speech well, TV you know, did the story. Amy
3: thing Goodman thing. had it, and yeah. I can't tell you who else. I, I mean, but well, was not
1: it in the corporate media? That's. Range. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I didn't see any. I didn't have any sense that this story was being covered in the corporate media, and.
3: Well, you know, I I really don't know whether it is or not, but I think it should be blown up enough that they would meet. We'd have enough. going on that they would think that they really needed it in one way, shape, or form because, you know, according to all the scientists and everything, it's going to keep going this direction and if we don't help right now with power and stuff like this, we're never going to be able to do it and we just, you know, they have waited more than long enough Uh, according to Amy on uh, the other day when she was Sarah,
1: Sarah, we're out of time. uh, We're out of time here. I'm sorry, but um, yes, I agree. Thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Sean in San Diego, California. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind today?
9: Hey, Tom. uh, First of all, I've I've followed and admired you since your early writings about uh, hunters in a farmer's world. So, oh, thank uh, you, Sean. Regret. My my first call is to to differ on something. (laughs) Okay, well, go for it. Regardless, yesterday, yeah, you know, there was the conversations. And uh, you seem to support the idea that Kelly referring to Robert E. Lee as an honorable man makes him a racist. I just think that's that's mistaken to make that kind of a stretch. Um, Robert E. Lee's life, certainly after the Civil War, I think you could argue with that of an honorable man helping about reconciliation yeah. between the South and the North. And, you know, you would, I think a military man could refer to General Rommel as an honorable man. Um, general and honorable man that would not make them an anti-semite um you could refer to to our founding fathers many of them as honorable men that doesn't make you a racist because they were slaveholders yeah um, I, I just think it's too far a stretch
1: tom all right all right sean i get it um i in the in my mind robert e lee was a brutal slaveholder and bragged about it bragged about how tough he was on his slaves and and uh... You know, and, and, to def- and, and, and to defend him and to say that the Civil War was not about slavery when the Civil War was entirely about slavery, in my opinion, is, if, if, if that doesn't make General Kelly a racist, at least it makes him somebody who is blissfully, deeply buried in his white privilege and unaware of the consequences of, of slavery and racism. On people of color in this country, that, and I, 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 I stand by that.
9: I, I fully agree. You cannot claim civil war so the, was, was not about slavery. I don't know what Kelly's statements were in that regard. I do know that the statements that he made partially defended Lee. He said
1: it was caused. Straight. He said the war was caused by a lack of, of compromise. I mean, you know, the Three-Fifths Compromise, the Missouri Compromise, the the Civil War, you know, what led to the Civil War was nothing but compromise. we had been compromising around slavery since the beginning of the Republic. Jefferson tried to write slavery out of the Republic in his first draft of the Declaration of Independence before we were even a country. And
9: Referring him as a traitor though I think is, is also mistaken because there was, I mean, he was faithful to his nation state of Virginia and prior to the Civil War we really were citizens first of our state, not of our nation. That's a, that's a modern concept as a result of the Civil War. No, you're you're um, thinking you're and, thinking and about our
1: Constitu- the our no, constitution reflects that. No, Sean, you're thinking about the end of the Articles of Confederation. Uh, during the during the couple of years that we existed, operating under the Articles of Confederation, individual states had sovereignty, and basically the United States of America was a giant free trade deal among oh, the thirteen colonies. But, but, and, and
9: I understand that.
1: And the Constitution. Was what you know, established federalism. Changed. So
9: yes, but psychologically we had not changed as a nation. I think until the Civil War, which while well, you're you're, that you're right that the
1: Civil War increased the power of the federal government dramatically, and we went from being strong states, weak federal government, to weak to weak states, strong federal government. You're absolutely right, yes. but but you know, okay. Well, we're we're starting to talk in circles, Sean. I'm going to move along. Thank yeah. you for the call, okay. Steve in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Steve, what's up? <laughs>
10: Oh, hey. Hey, Tom. Um, yeah, great show. I was just listening to you talk earlier to the conservative—well, uh, you were talking about the difference between conservatives and liberals, and um, I wanted to expand on that. You reminded me of, a, of a, an analogy that I've thought in my head for a long time now. Conservatives want to hit the brakes on the society that is our car, and liberals want to hit the accelerator— and that's why, if a society is functioning properly, you know, conservatives are not, should not be demonized. They are, you know, they do serve a... a no, both group. Function.
1: each group provides a balance to the other. And, you know, it's, I, I'm all in favor that, of that. Well, that's by, that's what I'm mourning, is that conservatives like my dad no longer exist on the political sphere. It's, you're, you're either a shill for a particular industry, or you're a shill for a particular billionaire, or you're a shill for a particular country. But, you, you know, who is a shill for America? I don't see anybody.
10: Well, yeah, and and I see, you know, right now we've been hitting the brakes like hard, slamming them hard for a long time. Right. And we need change at this point. We need uh, to hit the accelerator.
1: Yeah, we've been hitting the brakes so much that we're $3 trillion in the hole on infrastructure. Our country is falling apart. The Chinese are, are leaping ahead of us. The Europeans are way ahead of us. And, and all of this because of these, these, these crazy policies. Steve, spot on. Thank you for the call. Well said. Mike in Seattle. Hey, Mike, what's up?
6: Hi, Tom. A
5: couple
1: things. Uh, they're not closely related, but I'm wondering, is
5: the Mueller investigation now moving into a prosecution Investigation. Do you think that affords him any protection from the, the Trump administration from uh, being fired or yes. you know, trying to shut him down? Yeah, I,
1: I do, Mike, and I think that the the fact that Mueller was able to pull out a uh, you know guilty plea and then you know two two uh, specific prosecutions, even though uh, Manafort and Page uh, uh, both are not uh, Gates, excuse me, both uh, Gates, pleaded right. not guilty or yeah, pleaded not guilty. But uh, I think the fact that he has done this now closes the door on the possibility of Donald Trump saying, you guys aren't finding anything, we're going to shut you down. And Steve Bannon has been saying that the mechanism that Trump should use to do this is not to fire Mueller and not to close the office, but simply to defund it, to say, you know, oops, sorry, we have no more money. You're going to have to work for free or not at all. And oh by the God. way, if you decide and to work can, for free, and that's uh, without congressional
5: uh, congressional I mean that he can do that behind closed doors or whatever without yes. Congress without seeing the light of day. Oh my yes.
1: gosh. yeah. yeah, okay just because Congress appropriated the money doesn't mean that the executive branch has to spend it. And so oh, and that right. that's true of everything. I mean, this is this is how they're shutting down our weather satellites because they don't want to know about global warming. Uh, this is how they're defunding you know, basic science research because they don't want to know about you know global warming. Uh, and, the, and the consequences of it. You know this is they're doing all kinds of things on this level at that level by by dialing back budgets, you know killing off parts of the EPA. They, they've cut the State Department dramatically. It's you know the, the programs that are keeping us safe and that are keeping us well are, are being destroyed by Republicans in the interests of fossil fuel billionaires and the corporations that have oh. made them rich. And that's that's hey, what's wait. going on. Mike, I got a boogie. Thank you for the call. Uh, One other thing
5: is the bombers, uh, we sent a B-2 bomber to fly over the Sea of Japan, South Korea this weekend. Russia sent two of their straddle bombers or whatever in
1: response that were intercepted by two F-18s and some Japanese. Yeah, this is not a good thing. Mike, we're out of time. I'm sorry. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Tom Harvin Here with you, and on the line is Marshall Curry, two-time Academy Award-nominated documentary filmmaker. His website: Marshall Curry, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-U-R-R-Y dot com. Uh, just as you might expect. His Twitter is also at Marshall Curry. Marshall, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. You have a big fan here, our video director uh, Nate Atwell. He's just—he's totally all over your work. And this—this this, uh, <laughs> Night at the Garden. It's, uh, the, uh, the, tell us uh, about this. This is just a short video that you, that you put up. Well, tell us the story about this. Yeah. Um, this is a, most of the time I make feature documentaries,
11: but this is, this is super short. It's six minutes long. Um, and, uh, and, and the genesis of it was, uh, a, a dinner that I had with a friend of mine who's writing a, a screenplay about New York it takes place in New York in 1939. And he told me that uh, there was a rally in 1939 in which 20,000 Americans gathered in Madison Square Garden to celebrate the rise of Nazism. And when he told me that, I thought, there's no way this is true. I, I, you know, I'm a reasonably educated person. I would have definitely heard about something like this. Um, and I went back and looked it up, and sure enough, he was right. and I was wrong.
1: And, and this is like only- five years after the light at night of the long knives, and 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 I mean, this this is long after it was thirty three, thirty four that Hitler really locked down Germany and started locking up dissidents and everybody else. It's not like we didn't have some sense of where he was going. Forgive my interrupting.
11: Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 a few months before the invasion of Poland, but um, but you know, he was the same night of this rally, he was. Um, finishing construction of his sixth concentration camp and crystal knocked it happened and there you know had been plenty of indication of what was going on yeah. um, and and when you see the footage of this event uh, it's clear that that the people there share his goals yeah
1: it's it's really remarkable it's it's called a night at the garden it's a 6 minute long video of 20,000 american virtually all of them men uh, 20,000 americans wearing swastika armbands and carrying swastika flags and seagulling as they're singing the the, the uh, was it the the national anthem? Yeah, the Star Spangled Banner. Star-Spangled I mean, what's so incredible about this footage is that they they
11: combine Nazism, which I think most Americans agree is is as antithetical to the American values as as any philosophy could be, uh, but they combine it with the symbols of patriotism and they walk in with American flags. They do cite, recite the Pledge of Allegiance. There's a huge Thirty-foot uh, mural of George Washington in the front of the of the hall with swastikas on on either side of his of, of the of his um, of his head, and that combination of of American symbols with with you know the messages of demagoguery were what struck me so much about the event and partly what made it feel like a relevant illustration.
1: We're talking with Marshall Curry, the, the, uh, documentary filmmaker, the, was this a meeting of the, of the German bund of the uh, basically, you know, fraternal organization that was, you know, German ancestry kind of thing, or was this an actual Nazi political outreach that was independent of German heritage? no
11: it was it was organized by the bund so it is it there's a, a definitely a strong german uh overtone to the whole thing that you'll notice when you hear the the speaker speaking that he has a german accent and there was a lot of um a lot of uh of of german culture that was tied up in all of this but you know these are americans and and the the philosophies that they're espousing are not completely outside of the mainstream i mean we had a Father Coughlin, who had a radio show that was reaching 30 million people, that that was talking about, you know, making positive statements about Hitler and Mussolini, and and we had Charles Lindbergh, and we had, uh, you know, Henry Ford, and a number of mainstream people in American culture at that point uh, were were espousing anti-Semitic values and and fascist. arguing fascist and and sort of America first. I mean, that's, yeah. ironically, that's where the that's that's where that that term uh, came from that, that now we sort of hear used in a related but unrelated way.
1: Yeah, it was it's a, and it was almost a variation on Deutschland for Deutschland, you know, in Germany first basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, what happened the the, the uh, kind of went underground during World War II and and sort of petered out after it's it seems, you know, through through my the years of my childhood. Yeah. Um, right. and, and I, you know I'm familiar with some of these organizations a front I mentioned on the radio yesterday a friend of mine was Polish there's a Polish American association My father uh, is the son of Norwegian immigrants and he was a member of Sons of Norway his whole lifetime he bought health you know life insurance policies for all his kids in, in through Sons of Norway but those those kind of organizations have have just kind of faded you know you, you still have I guess an Italian organization that's keeping up the Columbus day stuff in New York and you know, uh, uh, Irish organizations keeping things going in Boston, but but by and large, that whole you know ethnic nationalism has largely died from the American scene, or has it?
11: I, I think certainly in the case of the Bund, it, it did, and and that happened soon after America was attacked by the Japanese and and went to war against the Germans. So as soon as American soldiers started to be killed by the Nazis. Um, it was no longer considered even a philosophy that could be discussed anymore. It, it, it was, you know, these guys were prying. And, and in fact, the head of the Bund was investigated and, uh, and imprisoned for embezzling money from his group, and ultimately um, deported to Germany after after the end of the war. So, um, but it does make you wonder what would have happened if Japan hadn't uh, in, invaded, uh, uh, bombed Pearl Harbor, and right. and if we'd had a different president instead of Roosevelt. What would have happened to these, to these, uh, to this philosophy? Would it, would it have become a, a more mainstream philosophy? And is that part of what we're seeing today?
1: Well, if Charles Lindbergh had been in the White House instead of instead of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, you know, it may well be that all Europe would still be Sieg Heilin, and maybe us too. I, you know, although I think Lindbergh had his own uh, come to Jesus moment uh, during or after the war, didn't he? I, I think that's probably right largely I mean,
11: what what was interesting to me about this piece was was almost less the history of it though than the lessons that it teaches us about demagoguery mm-hmm. and when you see this speech, the speech begins with uh, with um, Fritz Kuhn who runs the group um, attacking the press sort of making fun of the press as as uh, you know uh, exaggerating and and distorting who he is so Um, and then, uh, they, you know, they say the pledge of allegiance and then, um, he exhorts the crowd that we need to take America back for the people who founded it from, from these people who are, who are ruining it. They pick a minority group to sort of lay all of their problems on. In this case, it's the Jews today. It feels more like it's, it's, you know, Muslims Muslims or immigrants from, from Latin America or from the Middle East. And so, you know, this, this, this. Attacking the press with, with kind of sarcasm and humor, wrapping philosophies that are anti-American in the symbols of American patriotism, picking a minority group to lay our problems on, and, and just sort of whipping up people uh, who, who are otherwise uh, you know, normal neighbors into, into submitting to their, to their worst angels inside them. Um, I think these are things that demagogues have been using a long time. Yeah, and when you see it in an example like 1939, uh, it can, uh, you know, the goal of the piece was to just sort of sharpen people's sensitivities and 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 maybe be something of a cautionary tale about. Yeah.
1: We're we're about that. to hit a hard break here, Marshall. Where where can people find this?
11: Uh, it's called A Night at the Garden, and if they just go to a night at they can see it. And there's also a, a, an interesting page uh, on that same website that has. Uh, Old New York Times articles from the time, and 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 some kind of background about the group and uh,
1: and and what was going on in the film. Fascinating stuff. A Night at the Garden dot com. Uh, right. Marshall Curry, uh, Marshall, thanks so much for being with us today. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Keep up the great work. You're doing marvelous. We'll be back. And welcome back, Jay, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Jay, what's on your mind today?
7: Hey, Tom. It's nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, first time you saw I was from Greensboro, California, but it's North Carolina.
1: Uh-huh.
7: Um, I'm actually going to talk for a little bit or two, not a whole lot, because there's a couple of things that need to be addressed. Um, you know, obviously, you know, as somebody who's young, 34-year-old black male with a brain, because there's a lot of us out there, um, <laughs> despite what, you know, white nationalists and white supremacists try to say, Can right. you hear
1: me okay? Oh, yeah. Just fine, Jay.
7: Yeah. So, um... This is what I've been putting together. And this is what they don't, and I'm going to talk about the dark mind too because all this stuff rolls together, even the Trump having all these old crusty white guys around him and not having a single other person that represents real America. Um, the thing that kills me is that they always talk about we have a white genocide. And I'm like, okay, where the hell are the trucks with all the dead white bodies on there? Right. I don't see any.
1: Right. Where's the graveyard? Yeah,
7: I'm like, but we've had a black genocide where black people have been hung, Asian people have probably been shot. I mean, everybody's been discriminated. I mean, just, I mean it's just that to me what confounds me is that these guys say they hate identity politics, but they are the biggest victims of it
1: themselves. Oh yeah, and I, I think they it, yeah, they're in psychological prisons of their own making, certainly.
7: Yeah, and I, I and I'm like, and also if you notice, they're also very anti-science because science basically disproves all their notions. I said, "Look, here's what happens when you have an ethno state. If you wipe out people who have genetic diversity, even the species will, my soul well just go ahead and face rapid extinction."
1: Yep, you're absolutely right. And, and and increasingly, I mean, this, I, you know, I, I wrote books about this about ADHD back in the day, um, uh-huh. suggesting that not all things that we think are liabilities or our problems uh, that may be genetic are actually liabilities or problems. That ADHD actually confers substantial abilities to people. And, also, you know, this is your point about, you know, you need genetic diversity in order for a species to be viable over a long period of time in an evolutionary context. And, and
7: also, too. Yeah. I don't mean to cut it. Also, too, you can also say the thing of Asperger's because I was at the DSM 5. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, my Einstein father, was an Aspie. Yeah. I mean. And Einstein's like, holy crap, these people are smart. Yeah. My was like, you possibly have Asperger's.
3: Yeah. So exactly.
7: it's like, I don't necessarily see myself as weird anymore. I, I'm able to. Even though I don't focus on my day to day like I should. I tend to focus on this because it does affect all of us in some degree. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have people like the Koch brothers who are about dark muttons, or when you have their favorite puppet in office named the Cheeto Man, or Donald Trump as I call him, the Cheeto Man because he's mm-hmm. borns like a Fantana Soda. Um, he has to me, what I've been seeing with this whole investigation is a lot of people trying to say it was a nothing burger. or oh, the Seth Ridge story. Look, the Seth Ridge story was a conspiracy pushed by right-wingers and Sean Hannity to obfuscate from what's going on. The problem with racism in this country, racists themselves have a tendency to obfuscate. You can be a stealth racist and nobody know you're a stealth racist. I mean, and a stealth racist can be somebody who claims to like everybody, but deep down they loathe themselves so they loathe the other people secretly. I've sure. seen it before.
1: Oh yeah, oh, well, I, I saw so, that a lot in the you know, among the the men who are coming out to trash gay people—it's—it's not—it wasn't, you know, racial bigotry. It was uh, gender bigotry, but it was still, you know, these these repressed gay men who who were who were trashing gay people, and and then would come on this program from you know noble-sounding groups like the Family Research Council. Um, I ain't buying it. Jay, well said. Thank you very much for the call, and thanks for watching us there. We'll be right back. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair, and because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners the makers of xchair want you to feel the x chair difference for yourself so if you go to xchairtom.com that's the letter x chair t-h-o-m dot com not only will they knock a hundred dollars off the price but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code tom just go to xchairtom.com now i love my x chair and you will too so check out x tom as x chair t-h-o-m com check out xchairtom.com And be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. On the line with us, uh, Ellen Ratner, the report brought to you by Goatsfortheoldgoat.com and Ellen's new book, Loving What You Do. And congratulations on the new book, Ellen. Welcome back to the program. What's going on in the world?
0: Thank you so much. Well, we're getting more information about the alleged killer in yesterday's run-in or actually running over those eight people in Manhattan. And number one is it looks like he might have actually tried to drive into Manhattan a couple of times beforehand to sort of do a dry run. Uh, he did leave a wife and three children in New Jersey. He originally went to the great state of Ohio uh, and started a car repair business there. Uh, so we do know that. Uh, but you know, he left this note about ISIS. However, ISIS did not claim this, which is kind of interesting, right. um, although he may have been radicalized. And it looks like the imman from his mosque in Florida said that he needs to learn about the religion. And the imman was very shocked that he had done this.
1: Yeah, I, You so know, the sense stuff. that I got, and I've, I've only, uh, like you and everybody else, I've only seen a little bit about this guy's life. But it strikes me that he may you know just be your generic loser you know he's his back was to the wall uh financially economically, and uh, you know this is a way to commit suicide uh, with the appearance of nobility
0: well that's that's correct, and the other interesting thing uh, about him and and actually what Trump has said, Donald Trump has said. Well he went after Charles Schumer uh, for this uh, it's it's actually a lottery that people can right. get to in smaller countries and what's so fascinating about this is he blamed Schumer but it was George Herbert Walker Bush the first George Bush that signed the legislation right. it was bipartisan yep
1: hundred uh, percent bipartisan yep
0: I, I mean I, you can't make this stuff up
1: well, okay and not only that three years ago Schumer, Schumer tried to undo the lottery program and it actually passed the house and would have passed the senate but it got filibustered by republicans uh,
0: of course yes but you know we're not hearing the full truth no of course no. not
1: trump is com- yeah <laughs>
0: Okay. Now, even though uh, Vice President Pence almost lost for re-election in his home state of Indiana, it looks like the people in Indiana now think very positively of him as vice president. Uh, So that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, but he would have likely lost. They interviewed 600 people from Indiana, and that's how they came up with that. Mm -hmm. Also, um, now, it's interesting. The president is saying that they have to drill in the Alaska wildlife area uh, because this is going to bring in so much income. Well, there is a group. Now, granted, it's more of a lefty group, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, but they basically said that Trump is saying that he's going to get 2400 per acre, but the average is under $200 an acre. So where is he coming up with this? kind of money that he says he's going to get by selling off leases in the arctic wildlife refuge Hmm. he's not
1: okay remarkable
0: uh... so that is you know that that's interesting on that front okay um... also the uh... it's interesting that uh... i had a talk show host who happens to be an attorney who said to me that uh... if the president had been informed before he met with Mueller and fired him, uh, and he was told by the guy, Papa. I can never name. Yes, thank you. Uh, that there was going to be this case that it would be obstruction of justice for him to have fired Mueller.
1: Right, but the um, the what what month was it that? Well, it, actually, it wasn't Mueller he fired. It was Comey. But what I mean, month it was, was Comey, it? Sorry. What month I, was it that he fired mistake, Comey? Right. That's that's the thing that's missing from my timeline, because the the I think
0: it was February.
1: Okay, because the phishing emails were received. You know, uh, one of the things we know for sure is that John Podesta received a phishing email on March 19th, as I recall. Might have been March 18th or 20th, but it was right around there. It was uh, in March and presumably the DNC got one around the same time. If it was, you know, the Russians who hacked the DNC and, and it's increasingly looking like that was the case. Um, if that's the case, then he wouldn't, you know, the, 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 nobody would have had the emails. So a month earlier when, when Trump fired Comey, he couldn't have known about it.
0: Well, maybe, but, uh, this particular person and attorney thinks they did. So I don't know. We'll find out. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Okay. Another Trump person. Uh, met with the Mueller team, and he's up for a government gro- a job. His name is Sam Clovis. Oh, no, he's the a right wing talk show host. at agriculture.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah he's going to be, he's going to, isn't he going to regulate our, our chemicals or something like that? Uh,
0: I believe so. I mean, yeah. you cannot make this stuff up. Yeah, he's a right wing like talk show host. Okay. Uh, it looks like Senator Paul, uh, I mean, sorry, Speaker Paul Ryan and Senator Patty Murray have unveiled an evidence-based policy act. And what they're going to try and do is use evidence before they put in laws. This is bipartisan. We have not heard whether the Trump administration supports it or not. We will find out very shortly because Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be doing a briefing in about a half hour from now.
1: So when they're talking about evidence, boy, that's bizarre. What? I mean, I've I've got this uh, article from uh, from the uh, well, maybe I don't. <laughs> I had an article uh, from the Heartland Institute. Oh, here it is, right here. It's titled "Climate Battlefront Comes to New Mexico Schools," and I mean, this is this is an official article. It's a Climate Change Weekly, two, number two sixty six. And they they say, despite early promises it would stand up for science, New Mexico's public education department has caved to alarmists, to climate alarmists, and is adopting the next generation science standards in whole, including the standards false certainty that humans are causing dangerous climate change. And then they they go, uh, you know, through the climate change stuff and they say on each one of these points there's widespread disagreement and anyone who says otherwise is lying. I mean, you've got the groups that are funded There's by the
0: widespread disagreement as you no, know
1: obviously not I mean this is my whole point The Heartland is one of these groups that's funded by petro billionaires and uh, you know and they and they're bragging about how they 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 succeeded in getting uh, Idaho to uh, quote eliminate any mention of human-caused climate change from K to 12 education and they're and and they got West Virginia to do it and they're really upset that they were not able to pull this off in New Mexico it's it's bizarre
0: it uh, well, New Mexico is its own state. I have to tell you, I was just there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Good talking with you. We'll be back. Greg in Seattle. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind?
2: Hey, Tom, uh, just a longtime listener and a big fan of the show. I just wanted to say that I I was on an airplane for a couple hours speaking with a Republican surgeon on the way to a fundraiser in Mercer Island, and. Uh, it, it was the most effective time I've ever tried to open someone's mind to uh, to Obamacare and single payer. Uh, I, I I just laid out that um, before Obamacare, you had uh, insurance companies making 25 to 40 percent for what, and Obamacare restricted the profits to 20 percent and added 30 million Americans to life-saving health care. And I just uh, I was able to open his mind and have him realize that the enemy isn't a poor person who maybe doesn't take care of themselves as best they should. The enemy really is the insurance company that takes 20% or used to be 25 to 40% for really doing nothing, um, and the government does it with uh, the VA for 3%. Right. And And I was really able to isolate, instead of just saying single payer, I was able to isolate uh, the, the enemy, the insurance company in the 50s, you handed the doctor uh, the check. Uh, there was no overhead, and I really opened his mind. And uh, and I, I've I've used that effectively many many times. And so I just wanted to share that uh, instead of just saying single payer, it would really call out the insurance companies yeah. for what they are. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're banksters.
1: Thieves. They're banksters. They're 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 just you know they're handling money. That's all they do is handle money. So they're banksters. And and they handle money in a way that makes more money for them and less money for us, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, excellent point, Greg. Excellent, all, 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 every point you made was excellent. Peter in Med- in Media, Pennsylvania. Hey, Peter, what's up?
5: Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I hope you can hear me okay. Just fine. Um, I I in and you know, I've been a listener of yours for many years, and in, in, in recent months I've become more and more frustrated and disappointed in the lack of vision and, and true genuine. Uh, leadership from the Democratic Party. So I'm going to ask you and your listeners to sort of turn yourselves into Republicans for a moment during during my my call here. And I'd like the Democrats as a party to start proposing uh, solutions that are inarguable by the Republicans. And a simple example would be instead of advocating right now for uh, Medicare for all or single payer, just advocate that we let people such as myself, let me buy Medicare. When, When I when I get my paycheck my insurance company has already gotten into that paycheck before i do that's a tax so just give me the option to buy medicare or hey if i was a healthy 20 something year old let me buy medicaid and 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 for those people who were opposed to that idea let them buy private just just yeah. let me buy it. freedom of choice and then, and then let's see what happens to not only propping up the medicare medicaid systems and financially stabilizing them but once the private insurances, people realize that, that there's no benefit to having private commercial insurance and they start fleeing out of those uh, insurance companies, then uh, all of a sudden you're going to see those rates drop to become become competitive to the point where you're you're shrinking you're shrinking them. And you'll essentially have just by uh, I would suspect massive movement of people to Medicare and Medicaid, You'll have, essentially, a single payer for all, and it'll be financially yeah. uh, solvent. But I like to hear a Republican argue that proposal. Yeah. Who would be against that?
1: Well, it, it is consistent with the Republican notion of freedom of choice, and you, know, you should be able right. to do what you sure. want, and all this kind of stuff, and you know, the government is restraining you from being able... On the other hand, it's buying a product from the government, so the, you're not going to find a lot of Republicans who are going to be all that enthusiastic about that. Um, I get that, but let them argue that point and look foolish doing it. Sure. I'm I'm with you, Peter. I'm with you. Very well said. Uh, Thank you for the call, Peter. Dan in Simpsonville, South Carolina. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hey,
8: I am one of those conservatives. And first, you can never opt into Medicaid. Medicaid is for the poor and disabled. You don't opt into that. But that's not why I called.
1: Well, he was saying Um, Medicare.
8: Well, he said said Medicaid several times. Okay. Well, Um, how about Medicare? How about everybody can buy into Medicare? I, I, I think every, any kind of option is great. I, I, okay. I'm all for it. I think what people will find out that have never had Medicare is that uh, it's um, it, it's a lot of money for less service.
1: Dan, yeah, I, was, I would submit to health. you that you don't know what you're talking about. I've been on Medicare for I've a year. I've been
8: in business for 26 years. I know all about it. I've been dealing with offices, doctors, insurance
1: companies for 26 years. Yeah. Well, I know exactly you know, I've been on Medicare for a year. I had back surgery in the midst of that. I've had doctor's appointments. I've had x-rays, uh, MRIs, all kinds of stuff. It has been the most painless experience that I've ever had dealing with for insurance. For you. For me it's and true. for There's everybody a, else that I know who's N on Medicare. One. Yes. Yeah. That's an N of one, though. Yeah, well, know you about, know. The, the reason I called. <laughs> you are too, called, Dan. Was, huh? I said, you're offering an opinion of one person too, but that's not what you called about. We have only one minute left in the show. You wanted to get to Nevada? No. Yeah. Well, I
8: wanted to get to Nevada, but really by example of Wisconsin, you told me that most or you told the audience that most of the time when there's recalls, it's because someone broke the law. That's not what happened in Wisconsin in 2011. The Democrats did a recall up there because they didn't like what Scott Walker was doing that's why people do recalls not cuz people broke the law
1: i think you know you're calling from south carolina dan i think you really need to talk to some to some uh, to some wisconsinites uh, there was, I grew
8: up in Youngstown, Ohio. i know all about labor.
1: There, well, but there was there was this broad notion when when Scott Walker was recalled that he had broken the law. And in fact, what he did was he he, he hid a bunch of documents. He destroyed a bunch of documents, and he shut down a, a a government agency that was actually investigating what he was doing, and and all those things got sealed. I mean, there's there's so much evidence that right. Scott, Scott Walker was right. breaking the law and was committing you know nasty politics in Wisconsin. And, you know, he, he bailed out of that by, you know, w- with that election. I mean, you know, it's a, and, and of course the Koch brothers and everybody brought all his money into the state and uh, they, got, they got Scott Walker off the hook. But, uh, you know, another testimonial to money in politics, a sad one. Anyhow, been an interesting day today. We'll see where tomorrow pops up tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. If we want to have a functioning democratic republic, it requires all of us to be involved and informed. You know, Jefferson said if you want a, a, a competent, functioning democracy with an uneducated citizenry, you want something that has never existed and never will. Instead, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. will you tomorrow.
9: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.